0: pray for that. We support them. This morning, as we continue in our series on the seven feasts, I encourage you to take the notes paper that's on your table and uh, a pen and and follow along with me. I don't know if you have ever read or studied the Bible and come across something and and then began to wonder to yourself, uh, how is it that I never saw that before? Or if you uh, we're studying something, and then you just begin to realize how little you really know. Um, some of you might think that because I study the Bible pretty regularly that, you know, I know a lot, a lot of stuff. And um, the truth of the matter is that every week I realize how little I know. Um, and that's the amazing thing about the Word of God. You can study it your entire life, and you will never exhaust the depths of of the truth there, because you can't exhaust the depth of the knowledge of God, Um, not with our little pea brains. And so we will continue to to see darkly, um, but hopefully clearer and clearer uh, each day that we walk with our Lord. So we've been looking at the seven feasts, and specifically we're looking at the four fall uh, feasts, but practically speaking... One of the things that we find in Leviticus, and specifically when we get to Leviticus 23, is that while you and I often live our lives in the humdrum of our our daily, maybe hectic work schedules or school schedules for our students, the book of Leviticus challenges us to, to reorient and rethink how we live our lives. And that we reorient them around god in his timetable and specifically with these old testament feasts that there are god's appointed times and and so we begin to think more like god does in his timetable because the truth of the matter is we just get caught up in our lives and i um, moved from new york most of you all know that so i lived in new york until i was uh, 21 and so Winters and Christmas um, were not 85 and sunny. Um, they were generally cold, and if it was cold and it was Christmas, we wanted snow. You know, I don't know if you ever heard the, the song "White Christmas." Well, that, that's not written by somebody in Florida. Um, that's a northern you know person, and so <clears throat> that's what I grew up with and in. And when I moved to Florida, the the funny thing is that. The first few years, actually even now, um, I don't recognize when Thanksgiving and Christmas is coming because there's no real change of season. I mean, there is a little bit. Like we finally got to to fall, right, in um, in Florida. We have two seasons, right, summer and and fall or something like that. Um, But I remember my first few years, (coughs) which I was at the first Christian school I was at, which is where I, I met Jose. And uh, I remember, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas time, it was 85 degrees and I was still wearing shorts. And it began to register to me that, like, it's Christmas and, like, mom has snow at home. And I'm like, what? Like, it wasn't quite registering. And my point is that we get caught up in living our lives and what's going on. And see, for me, the things I was familiar with that connected with Thanksgiving and Christmas, they were suddenly removed because it was with the seasons. And I was in a new set of seasons down here in Florida. And so Christmas was upon me before I realized it. And it didn't seem like Christmas because it was the same. Like, the weather never changed. Now, <clears throat> Leviticus 23, God is, is getting his people to order their lives in a different manner. Now, their, their lives were ordered basically around the agric- agricultural cycle. And so there, there's three main seasons that, that we've kind of seen, and I'll, and I'll show you the diagram again in a minute. But <coughs> God wanted them to realize that their lives should be ordered around his seasons, his time frame, and his cycles, even though it's related to the agriculture. And so that's what we've been looking at. So the first thing we saw was that the biblical day that, that we often think of the day is starting in the morning. Okay? So, you know, I got up this morning. I said that earlier, right, in the beginning of our service. Well, in the biblical idea, the day starts the night before. And so all these feasts, they start the evening before. When the sun goes down is when that begins. Then we saw that the week. The week is a seven-day week. You know, if you've never studied the week, if you look throughout history, the week was not always seven days in every country and, and all around the world. There's been 10-day weeks. There's been less than seven. There's been different types of, of weekdays. But, but God's week was a seven-day week, you know, based on creation. <coughs> we also talked about that the, the idea of the Sabbath. It's always been the, the seventh day. So we may worship on Sunday. You may rest on Sunday. But, but Sunday is not actually the biblical Sabbath day. All right? Sabbath was always the seventh day. All right? In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1 and 2, we saw that... God shows up, and he speaks to Moses. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times, the times of the Lord, that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. And so, as we talked about in the book of Leviticus, um, God speaks many, many times to his man Moses. In fact, if you want a book where God speaks the most, like, you know, words in quotes, actually from God, read Leviticus. That's where he's speaking so he calls Moses, and he says, these, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed times. They're for God. Okay? They're not just Jewish feasts. They're, they're God's appointed times. And so we saw that in the biblical calendar <clears throat> that God set up these times, these appointed times. And their calendar uh, does not have the same months as ours. We talked about the fact that many of their months are still named after the Babylonian um, gods, etc., because of their exile in Babylon. For those 70 years. But the, the spring feasts up at the top, uh, Passover, Pesach, um, the unleavened bread and the first fruits, they all occur up there in the month of Nisan. Alright, just think of the truck and the car, alright? But it's not a truck, alright? It's the month. Uh, and then a little while after that, okay, is, is Pentecost. And those are your, your spring and your summer feasts. And then down at the bottom of our diagram is the three that we've been looking at, because those are the ones that actually have been taking place right now, and Jews all over the world have been celebrating them. And we looked at trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles. <clears throat> we saw, if you look in the next diagram, that if you put the seven feasts just in some circles around that calendar, you can see how they're grouped together. you got a three, a one, and a three. All right? And these groupings are when the, the men were supposed to journey up to Jerusalem and celebrate these um, in Jerusalem together, all right? these three different times of the year. Which the next slide, again, puts them in another order for you, but shows you the same thing, the three annual trips to Jerusalem that they were to make. And then we began looking, which was probably new for a lot of you, at the idea that these biblical holidays, God's appointed times – actually have an eschatological, that means end time, future prophetic aspect to them. And we didn't spend a lot of time on the spring holidays because those aren't the ones that are occurring right now, but those are the ones that were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. Passover was about Jesus' death, the unleavened bread, his burial, first fruits, his resurrection, and Pentecost, 50 days later, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Now, those feasts, those appointed times to God, They were still celebrated throughout the New Testament. If you you look in the New Testament, you can see especially Pentecost is mentioned several times. You get to Acts chapter 2 and you think, oh, Pentecost. Yeah, yeah, I know that. That's when the Holy Spirit came. Well, no, go back and read it. They were gathered together for the Feast of Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit came as a fulfillment of what that feast, that appointed time, pictured all through the Old Testament, God pouring out his spirit, which we're going to see a little bit of that today as well. And then in the the fall, we have the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the tabernacles. And so these seven feasts of the Lord and their fulfillments is what we've been looking at a little bit. And we're just about ready to to wrap this up until springtime when we'll come back and we'll look more in detail at the spring feast. But so we see that the Passover was fulfilled by the death of Christ. He's our Passover lamb. Unleavened bread is his burial. The first fruits is the resurrection on the third uh, day and the first fruits of the dead. Christ was the first resurrected. Remember, first fruits means in an agricultural setting that um, the wheat or the barley has begun to sprout. And because you got some stalks here, what that tells you is that's the first fruits. The rest is coming soon. So Jesus is resurrected. He's the first fruits. The rest is coming soon. And what are the rest coming? The rest is the believers who will be resurrected. When I say soon, Kevin, it's been a couple thousand years. Yeah, I know. But, you know, God's timetable isn't our timetable, you know? A day with the Lord is like a thousand years, right? Not that it's literal. That just means long to him or short to him. You know, different with us. So, Pentecost, fulfilled by the giving of the Holy Spirit in the upper room. And then Trumpets Day of Atonement and Tabernacles is about Jesus' return, the judgment, the millennial kingdom, and God's uh, future reign in the new heavens and new earth. And so these fall feasts are what we looked at. The first one we saw was the, the blowing of the shofar was the trumpets. And this was Tishri 1. Like, what Tishri? Well, if you were here, we talked about that. That was October. All right? So it falls different each year. It just depends because if we go back to the, the little wheel that showed their months and our months, they don't line up exactly, okay? But that was Tishri 1. And so this year, these actually fell almost exactly in line for us, like us on a Sunday or Monday. And so we've actually been going through them for these last three weeks, um, Specifically, right along with the Jewish calendar. And so we looked at this and we saw that the trumpets were blown, okay? And it was a call to the people. A call to do what? A call to get ready. Trumpets were used all through the Bible. Militaries, a call to attention. Someone's got to say something. Basically, get some of people's attention, alright? Jesus, when he comes back, will come back with the sound of a trumpet, alright? People will see him, he will be seen, and there will be the sound of the trumpets. And this was the idea of repentance and respect. And you need to realize that he's coming back, and so because of that, you need to get ready. And that was followed up by ten days of awe, and that time period was a time of getting ready and preparing. The ten days of awe led up to the Day of Atonement, which was on Tishri 10. So the first was the trumpets, and then the tenth was the Day of Atonement. We spent some time talking about this. This is extremely important day in the old testament time period it was the one day when the high priest went into the holy of holies and he offered up the the sacrifice the blood to atone to cover for the people's sins for the whole year we saw that the picture of the tabernacle with the shekinah glory of god the fire coming down god consuming the sacrifice and god meeting with his people in this tent of meeting and so this was about the (coughs) day of atonement for god to uh, continue to meet with his people he needed to clean house you know, when we traips in here every day, all right, like it or not, you bring some baggage with you, okay? You bring your junk. You bring your sin, all right? And when all these people are living with God, if you, if you remember the, um, the picture I had up last week, I think, and the week before with the, the tabernacle and the people were all camped around it. So you got lots of people, okay? A couple million people came out of Egypt. You get all these people there, well, there's a lot of sin going on, because people sin. And the more people you have, the more what you have? Sin. Okay? Well, this is a little bit of a problem, as we've talked about. At the end of Exodus, God tells Moses to build the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, for him to meet with his people. Now, in Leviticus, he's saying, all right, I'm going to come live with you. Well, that's a little bit of a problem. What happens when God comes and lives with his people? He kills sinless. Yeah. Sin can't be in his way, right? So, but how do we get sinless, right? So we got a big, big, big problem. And that's what the Day of Atonement, that's what all these sacrifices are about. And ultimately they pointed forward to Jesus, and that's what Jesus is all about. And so what this did was the Day of Atonement reset everything for the next year. And so there was two goats. <clears throat> <coughs> one was sacrificed and then one was sent off and this pictures the two aspects of our sin one is that there has to be a payment for our sin okay, one goat died instead of the people dying and the other aspect is the sins need to be completely removed they can't be in God's house they can't be near God or else he can't dwell with his people what happened as soon as Adam and Eve sinned what did God do? kicked him out of the house, right? The Garden of Eden, right? That's where God was, was living with him, right? Was meeting with him. Kicked him out. Why? Can't have it there. Are you getting into heaven with your sin? No, sir, you're not. Leave it at the door. You're not coming in, right? You're not coming in with your sin. Alright? So how do we get rid of it? And so that was Day of Atonement. Okay? And then Tabernacles was, was the 15th to the 21st. Okay? All in the same month. So you see, this is a super important month. Okay? You got trumpets, you got Day of Atonement, you got tabernacles, all right after each other. This was a time of celebrating the provision and protection of God. Now, you and I don't understand this type of stuff. All right? Most of us didn't grow up on a farm. Now, <clears throat> I do occasionally go to a farm now and buy some produce, and so I can see the chickens and you know Cooper seeing the pig and you know the other day I was there and the horse was out. Um, but they're not in my backyard. I don't actually go get my eggs from the chicken every morning, and I don't milk the goats or the cows. So <coughs> I mostly go to the store. Even at the farm, I go to the store at the farm. All right, And we don't understand this agricultural system because of that. In the, in the biblical time period, there was – Three periods throughout the year. And they correspond, remember, to the calendar in the three sections, right? You got the, the spring, you got the summer, and you got the fall. So, <coughs> this time period right now, okay, that we're looking at, this time of, of tabernacles, had several things going for it. One, God was reminding them, as we saw last week in Leviticus, that when they came out of Egypt, okay, they lived in the wilderness in these huts. Okay? Tabernacles means sukkot. Okay, that's, that's the Hebrew word. They were huts. Right? They lived in those. In addition, though, this was the end okay, of the agricultural cycle for the year. So they're not just celebrating this third harvest that has come in, which means they got food to eat for months. They're celebrating the fact that all three harvests have come in, okay, the in-gathering. And so they have food from all three harvests, And there's not going to be another harvest for five or six months. And one of the things, we'll look at this in a minute, is now they're going to be singing and praising God and praying for one thing in particular. The rains to come. Because if the rains don't come, that next harvest up at Passover time about six months from now, guess what there won't be? There won't be any harvest. There won't be any food if the rains don't come. So, they got one major prayer request that they need to see happen all through those next six months, and that's the rain. We'll talk about that in just a minute. <coughs> so, they're there celebrating this. And so, this, this third grouping of, of these feasts here, and they make the booth. You've seen the biblical calendar. You saw the picture I showed you last week of them making the booths. You saw how they waved around. We talked about the etrog and the lulav, these, these uh, vegetables and and the, and the palm branches. And this was a time of great joy and celebration. Okay, They were so excited. In fact, it has been said that if you have never seen joy, you need to come to this celebration. Because it was the most joyous celebratory time in the whole year. Okay, There was dancing and praising well into the night. All right, There was a time at the end of this, the seventh and eighth day, which we're going to talk about the eighth day in just a minute... The seventh and eighth day where there was these uh, menorahs, okay? Those are seven candle lampstands, okay? They were over 70 feet high, if I remember right. And there was four of them that they would set up. And when they were lit up at night, it was said that in Jerusalem, every house was lit up. Because these things on up in that mountain, okay, where the temple was, were so high up. And then these candles were so high and so big that they lit up everything, a great time of celebration. And so, with that, they did that for seven days. <coughs> and then we get to something that you've probably not looked at before. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The eighth day. Did you know there's an eighth day? The eighth day. Tishri 22. Now, all through these previous days, okay? So the last seven days, the Feast of Tabernacles... They sacrificed some 70 bulls over the last seven days. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Genesis chapter 10, it's called the Table of Nations. All right? It's before chapter 11, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. But um, chronologically and historically, it actually occurs after. Okay, So your Bible chapters are not always in chronological order. Good. Okay. So after God judged them at the Tower of Babel, he scattered... All these people. And there's 70 nations and they're sent out. So the 70 nations represent all these Gentile nations all over. So I don't think it's an accident that during these seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, 70 bulls are sacrificed. What for? The sins of the 70 nations. And then on this eighth day, which we're talking about today, just one bull is sacrificed. And that's for the sins of the nation of Israel. God's nation. God's people. And so <clears throat> this past week, okay, was not only the agricultural celebration, but as we looked at a little bit last week, and you can study it some more on your own, the idea of God's in-gathering, he's gathering up of his people and the nations, which remember, connect these dots again, the trumpet will sound, Christ will come, okay, there will be a judgment, the nations will be judged, okay. And God will call people from all nations to Himself. Then we get to Leviticus 23, verses 33 to 36. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses Tell the Israelites, the festival of boost to the Lord begins on the 15th day of the seventh month and continues for seven days. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You're not to do any daily work. You're to present a fire offering to the Lord for seven days. On the eighth day, you're to hold a sacred assembly. This is a separate one. And present a fire offering to the Lord. It is a solemn gathering, you are not to do any daily work. <coughs> so we see that this eighth day, it's it's tacked onto this first seven. But it's a separate day with a separate set of uh, stipulations and requirements. So I want us to look this morning at the eighth day in scripture. You can actually do this pretty quickly. You can do a Google search. Just eighth day in scripture, or you can go to something like uh, Bible Hub, um, which is a great little uh, Bible research website, and you can put it in there, and it'll show you (coughs) (coughs) these scriptures. The first thing that we're going to see is that it has to do with being consecrated to God. In Exodus chapter 22, verse 30, (coughs) the context here is the firstborn of the animals that belong to God. He says, do the same with your cattle and your flock. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days. But on the eighth day, you are to give them to me. And so here, um, baby animal, the firstborn, okay? Who gets the firstborn, especially the males? They go to God, okay? But he doesn't take them on day one. He waits till day what? Eight. Day eight. First seven days, they stay with their mom. In Leviticus chapter 22, verse 27, he says, when an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it must remain with its mother for seven days. From the eighth day on, it will be acceptable as a gift, a fire offering to the Lord. And so we see here again, eight days. Okay? So, what is consecrated to God on the eighth day? Firstborn animals are consecrated to God on the eighth day. But that's not the only thing. Leviticus chapter 8, verses 33 through 9-1. Okay, we read this. Okay? He's speaking to um, Aaron. Okay, they are about to be um, appointed and consecrated as the priests for God. He says, you must not go outside the entrance to the tent of meeting for seven days until the time your days of ordination are completed, because it will take seven days to ordain you. The Lord commanded what had been done today in order to make atonement for you. they got to be purified. Okay, If they're going to be God's priests, they're going to minister in his house, And for other people, they need to be cleansed, right? So, you must remain at the entrance of the tent of meeting, day and night, for seven days, and keep the Lord's charge so that you will not die. This is what I was commanded. So Aaron and his sons did everything the Lord had commanded through Moses. And on the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron, his sons, and the elders of Israel. On what day? The eighth day. And so, they will be consecrated to God. In chapter 9, verse 22 to 24, it says that Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people, and he blessed them. He came down after sacrificing the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offering. Moses and Aaron then entered the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people. And what happened next? The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came from the Lord. He consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell face down on the ground. So, God had laid out these stipulations for consecrating Aaron and his sons, for dedicating them, for putting them aside for a special role for him, cleansing them, atonement is made for them. And on the eighth day, it begins. And because of that process, and they are now in a new role, Okay? It's a whole new thing for them. And God shows up. He accepts the offering. He meets with the people. And the people worship with God. So, consecrated to God. Firstborn animals, and secondly, the priests were consecrated to God on the eighth day. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 14, we read, This is my covenant, which you are to keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every one of your mouths must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you, at how many days? Eight. Eight days old is to be circumcised. This includes a slave born in your house, and one purchased with money from any foreigner, the one who is not your offspring, a slave born in your house, as well as one purchased with money. You must be circumcised. Make or My covenant uh, will be marked in your flesh as an everlasting covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that male will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. If you know anything about the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, this is the sign of God's people. This becomes such a contentious debate in the intertestamental time when the Greeks and Hellenization was going on. They completely split uh, the Jews and who they followed. Later on in the New Testament time period, this becomes another debate with what to do with Gentiles and Hellenists, non-Jewish people who are beginning to become Christians. So if Peter and Paul and others get into an argument... Um, People called the Judaizers continue to argue that you you continue to have to be circumcised to be saved. And then we find if we read the scriptures that obviously that is not the case. That that pointed forward to a new covenant which we now have in Christ. And he talks about having a circumcised heart. Okay. Which means humbled and cut and a a, uh, receptive heart to God and his people. Okay. But the point here. All right, that was just in case some of you are confused about whether or not that's all required today, etc. But the point here is that on what day did this take place? The eighth day. Why? Because they were being consecrated to God. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3 says, The flesh of his forsaken must be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, did John the Baptist go through this? Did Jesus go through this? Did Paul? Yes. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. When the eight days were completed for circumcision, he was named Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived. The same thing occurs for John the Baptist. The same thing occurs uh, according to the Bible for the Apostle Paul. So you see this all the way through Old Testament, New Testament. So they are consecrated. So what do we have? We've got three different areas that we've seen so far for consecrated to God. The firstborn animals, the priests, and the males. All on what day? The eighth day. We continue Leviticus chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. The one who is to be cleansed. Must wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe with water. He's clean. Afterward, he may enter the camp, but he must remain outside his tent for how many days? Seven days. So what do you think is going to happen on the eighth day? Okay, you can almost anticipate at this point, right? So, (coughs) shave off all his hair, again on the seventh day. His head, his beard, his eyebrows, the rest of his hair. He is to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He is clean. (coughs) On the eighth day, he must take two unblemished male lambs, an unblemished year-old ewe lamb, a grain offering of three quarts of fine flour mixed with olive oil, and one-third of a quart of olive oil. What's all that for? An offering, sacrifice. The priest who performs the cleansing will place the person who is to be cleansed together with these offerings before the Lord at the entrance to the town of meeting. What's going to (coughs) happen? Eighth day, he gets a new lease on life. Eighth day, he's marked as clean. Eighth day, he's no longer ostracized. Eighth day is new beginnings consecrated to God. Leviticus 15, 13 and 14. The first passage in 14 was about leprosy. This is about body discharges. When the man with the discharge has been cured of it, he has to count seven days for his cleansing. Wash his clothes, bathe his body in fresh water, he'll be clean. He must take two turtle doves or two young pigeons on the eighth day, come before the Lord at the entrance of the town meeting and give them to the priest. And so, Numbers 6, 9 and 10 the last one in this section of of cleansing. If someone suddenly dies near him, this is speaking of uh, Nazarite, defiling his consecrated head of hair. He must shave his head on the day of his purification. He is to shave it on the seventh day, on the eighth day. He is to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so what do you see here is that the first group was consecrated to God. And here we have cleansed by God. Whether your body is defiled, your body has a discharge, or you run into a dead body. So in all three of these cases, again, on what day are they cleansed by God? Eighth day. Eighth day. One more, one more group. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 9. On the eighth day, they held a sacred assembly for the dedication of the altar. It lasted seven days, and the festival lasted seven days. What's going on here? King Solomon is dedicating or consecrating the temple to God. Remember, David had asked to build a temple, a meeting place for God, and God said to David, Great desire, but sorry, you're not the man, because you're a man of war. Now remember, David was a man after God's own heart, but David had also killed lots and lots of people. And God didn't want that in connection with his temple. So he says, No, King Solomon's going to build it. So when King Solomon gets it built, what do we have here? we got this time period, and on the eighth day, a sacred assembly for the dedication. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 7. Now this is several years later. (coughs) King King Hezekiah's time period. It says, they closed the doors of the portico, they extinguished the lamps, they did not burn incense, they did not offer burnt offerings in the holy place of the God of Israel. (coughs) What's going on here? Well, in the context here, during King Hezekiah's time period, there's, there's been a whole change of things going on. And here he is cleaning and consecrating the temple to God. It's been defiled through the years. If you understand Old Testament history and the time period, King Solomon builds uh, the temple. But then after a time, the, the temple will be destroyed. And then it will be rebuilt. And then it will be um, kind of left and, and taken down again. And then it will be rebuilt again. And so during these time periods, each of these time periods, there's a, there's a cleansing and a reconsecration or dedication. The next passage, and the last one related to the temple, is Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 26 to 27. It says, "...for seven days the priests are to make atonement for the altar and to cleanse it, and this way they will consecrate it <coughs> and complete the days of purification." And then on the eighth day and afterward, the priest will offer your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar, and I will accept you. This is the declaration of the Lord. So all of these have to do with God's temple. And so we see that they were consecrated to God in the first section, cleansed by God in the second, and the third one is consecrated to God related to his, his temple. And all of these have to do, if you can summarize them, with the idea of new beginnings. You say, how is that all new beginnings? Well, think about it. Okay? The firstborn. The animals. Okay? What, what was going on for them? They were getting a new role. They were getting a new beginning. They were given to God. Now, you might say, well, they're burned up. Well, even if they're burned up, okay? In, in the sense that we're talking about, they have a new function and a new role. The first seven days, they're just with mamas. Eighth day, new role. You go somewhere else. The priests. What's going on with Aaron? Why is it such a big deal? New role. They're no longer just one of the Israelites or even one of the Levites. They have a new role. Eighth day, new beginnings. Start something fresh. The temple is dedicated. New role, new beginnings. All these different aspects <coughs> the leper, the discharges, the defilement of the dead. Every one of them, mark them as unclean and put them in a category where they can no longer participate in certain aspects of corporate community and worship with God. So what happens? They get a new lease on life. They get a new beginning. They have their, they have their role restored or renewed. This is all about new beginnings. And so <clears throat> we go to a passage in the New Testament, and we might be able to make... An analogy here with 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Speaking about God's flood and his judgment on the world, he says, If God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down in Tartarus, and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood on the world of the ungodly, What is Noah plus seven equal? What is it? Eight. So again we have that God renewed and restarted the creation with eight. You also see that when the seven-day week ends, the next day is day what? What's the day after the seventh day? The first day of the week or the eighth day. So actually they coincide at that point. And so what you have is, again, the new beginning. So you get to day eight, and it's like, I don't know if I want to say a redo, but it's a restart of some sense. It's a new beginning. Stanley. Sunday will be the what? That is correct. Right on. Sunday is the 8th and the first day. Exactly. And you'll actually find that in some of the early church literature in the 1st and 2nd centuries. Okay? <coughs> All right. So if we go back to Leviticus, at the end of the book of Leviticus, okay, we've been looking at chapter 23, just a couple chapters later, in 26, okay, we see what God's intention is. And we've discussed this already with, with what he said to do, why have the tabernacle, etc., He says in Leviticus 26, verse 11 and 12, I will place my residence among you, and I will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. So what is it that God wants? God wants to walk with his people. He wants to be among them, okay? Now remember, remember, can you think back to like, 35, 40 weeks ago when we did our Believe series, right in the beginning we talked about how how God is transcendent, he's separate from us. But then the next week we talked about how he also comes close, how Jesus came from heaven to earth to be with us, right? Why why would he do that? Because he loves us, because he wants to be with us. That's the whole point. Why would he give us the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us? Because he wants to be where? With us. Why does John say that Jesus came in? dwelt or tabernacled among us because he wants to be with us and so the point of leviticus is god wants to be with his people but for god to be in the house the house needs to be what clean, clean. all right so get it ready so he can show up now <clears throat> if we jump forward to revelation chapter 21 look what we find here in verses one through seven Now remember. Let me make one other comment on, on the whole walking with God thing. Okay, Enoch in Genesis walked with God. Noah walked with God. It is said of Abraham and Isaac that they walked before God. So this terminology, okay, you might want to throw in. It's not the same uh, verbiage, but the, the the Genesis Garden of Eden passage also talks about you know God walking with Adam and Eve. Depends on how you slice that, interpret that, but. The point is, these people, what is it is common with them? They're walking, living, in relationship with God. So we get to Revelation 21, the end of the Bible. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. Now, you need to understand something. Okay, This has always kind of bugged me, bothered me, didn't know what it was about. But the sea, why, why is there no more sea? You've got to understand, in, in Jewish understanding in the culture, not just Jewish, but ancient Near East, the sea... Is crazy chaos. Okay? What what happened with, with Hurricane Matthew? What caused all the what caused all the destruction? The sea, the water, the ocean, right? The sea. It's unpredictable. If you read through the scriptures, you will see evidence of this in the scriptures. <coughs> the ancient Near Eastern people were afraid of the sea. But here's what the Bible says: God controls the sea. God tells the sea where to stop. God sets the boundary for the sea. What does all that stuff mean? What he's trying to tell his people is you don't need to be afraid of the sea. You don't need to worship some sea god. There's no Poseidon. There's no this. There's no Zeus. He said, I control it all. I created the sea. Go back to Genesis, right? What did he do? He fashioned the land by separating out the seas, the waters from the land, right? The dry land. And so God's saying, what's he saying in Revelation? He's saying, don't have to worry about those seas. There's no chaos, Everything's in complete control. Because in Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth, who's in control? God's in control. I also saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. This is a wedding. I heard a loud voice from the throne, look. What's the next verse say? God's dwelling is where? With With humanity. This is God's plan and intention from the beginning, from Genesis. Notice also that it's coming down from heaven. Okay, You're not staying up in a cloud somewhere playing a harp. Why did God create the earth? To dwell, to dwell on, for him to dwell with his people. What's going to happen at the end? It's going to make it re-dwellable, re-inhabitable. He's going to re-fix everything so it's the way it's supposed to be. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making how many things new? Everything, Everything new. What was they eight about? New beginnings. New beginnings. He also said, right, because these words are faithful and true. He said, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give water as a gift to the thirsty from the spring of life. The victor will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. What does he say he's going to give? Water from the spring of life. Now, I need you to lock that in for a minute. Because we've got one more thing I want to look at with you. I'm going to connect from Leviticus and Revelation to Jesus and John. In John 7, I alluded to this a little bit last week, and I'm going to add to it just a little bit today. In John 7 and 8, Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's two things that he says that are incredibly magnificent. At this feast that you and I don't get the, the importance of. He says that he's the light of the world. And he says that he is the living water. So he'll give you the living waters. In John 7.37 it says. <clears throat> On the last and most important day of the festival. Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone is thirsty. He should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, was streams of what? Living waters waters flow from deep within him. Isn't that very similar to what he just said in Revelation to the Apostle John? Which, by the way, the Apostle John wrote both the Gospel of John and Revelation. Streams of living water. Now, what you have to understand is that by this time in history, remember... What is the one thing they're praying for at the end of the Harvest Festival? Rain. Rain. Okay? So this is where you've got to understand that literal things, not always, but literal things sometimes become metaphors for other things. So they're literally praying for rain. But over time, as God revealed more information to his prophets, they began to link the rain, which pours from the sky, with the pouring of the Holy Spirit that comes from God as well. Now, how do I know this? Look at Joel, or Joel, chapter 2, verse 28. Speaking of this, he says, After this I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. Now this is... This is the scriptures that are referred to in Acts 2 when Pentecost comes, and the Holy Spirit is poured out as well. Then you have Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. Isaiah says, I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. You're like, okay, that's rain, right? Oh, but look at the rest. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. You see, the pouring out of the literal rain and the pouring out of the reign of God through the Spirit of God are connected together. And so, as the prophets throughout the Old Testament, remember, why are, why are the prophets even in there? The prophets are in the Bible because God's people kept rebelling and going astray, and especially God's leaders and the kings. And so God would send His cops. That's what I call them. The prophets were God's cops. They were the covenant enforcers. They would show up. And they would tell the people, and specifically also the kings, to repent and get back to doing right. That's what they were all about. Repent. Go back to doing what you're supposed to do. Follow God. Or else, judgment is coming. They're like, nah, 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 we're fine. And depending on the prophet, you know, Jeremiah preached for 40 years. But no, Babylon's going to come and get you boys. No, he's not, Jeremiah. You don't know what you're talking about. They threw him in jail. They put him up in a birdcage. They didn't feed him. They threw him in a pit. They did all these things. Forty years, okay? What finally happens? They come the Babylonians. Why? Because God sent his prophet to warn them. What's going on here? God sends both judgment messages and messages of hope. This is a message that has hope in it. This is a message that he's going to pour out his spirit on his people. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 says... Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters, and you without money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. <clears throat> That's what Jesus was quoting. Jesus said in John seven thirty seven, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. Here, Isaiah is saying in Isaiah 51, the same thing. Where did Jesus get it from? He's quoting Isaiah. He's saying, I'm here to fulfill what Isaiah said. That shouldn't shock us. Because when jesus first began his ministry he quoted isaiah 62 1 and 2 and said today it's been fulfilled in your presence i'm the one i'm here let's get this on it's for real and so here we have the same thing going on so what you have as you look through all these and i have one more in ezekiel but what you have here is the combining of the literal and the metaphorical pointing forward over time, okay, this is this is as God progressively reveals himself. That means he shows more and more of his plan over time. Alright. As he's doing that, he's showing <clears throat> that he's gonna send his Holy Spirit and he's showing that he's gonna have a new thing going on. There's gonna be a renewal, there's gonna be new beginnings. We saw it in Revelation also. He's gonna renew or make new how many things? Everything. Everything. All things will be made new. In Ezekiel thirty-six verses twenty-six to twenty-seven. He says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Now when Jesus comes and he says that he didn't come to abolish or destroy the law, but to fulfill it? This is how it is. You see, I've said this before. You really don't need a Ten Commandments checklist or if you Look through the Bible and there's six hundred and thirteen commands that God gave his people. Alright, sometimes when I teach my students, I, I make it, you know, a little bit of a joke. So go get your six hundred and thirteen commands, and every night before you go to sleep, you better go check them all off and make sure you did them all, right? But see, what God's done is He's given us a new way. He gives the Holy Spirit inside of us. You don't have to go check off 613, all you gotta do is listen to who? The Holy Spirit gives you a new heart. <coughs> And so all of this is the background for Jesus showing up in John 7 and saying, I got the living waters for you. You see, they would have this big, ornate procession. They would go down to this pool of Siloam, and they would fill this golden jug with water. And they would bring it all the way back up to the temple. They'd be playing their flutes. They'd be singing the Hallel songs. They'd be singing the Psalms. They'd be praising God. They'd be dancing. And they bring that up there, and they pour this water in in the temples as they praised God, and as they were praying for more rain. And here Jesus is saying, I got the rain for you. You want the rain? I got the rain. You want a new day? You want a new beginning? I got that for you. And that's what we find in Scripture. That's how Jesus is the culmination of all of this. And so, what are the responses from the people? Well, look at John 7, verses 40 and 41. When some from the crowd heard these words, they said, This really is the prophet. Not, I need to pick on one word here. What's the word in front of prophet? The He didn't say a prophet. They said, This is the prophet. Well, who's the prophet? What's he talking about? He's talking about Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 15. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses said that after me, there will come one like me, the prophet. All through scripture later on, when there is a question of, is this the new Moses? Is this God's next man? That he doesn't just get a message from God, but God talks like face to face. That's how Moses was different, right? Everybody else, God gives him a message, a dream, whatever. With Moses, no, God spoke face to face with Moses. No. See, Jesus, you can compare this with John chapter 1, verse 21, John 1, 25, John 6, 14. All these are references to where Jesus is referred to as, is he the prophet? And so some people say, oh, they know their Old Testament. Is Jesus the prophet? He's the, the new replacement for Moses? He's the one that God was going to send? Then others, it says, say this is the Messiah. So that's the second group of people. So he's the prophet. He's the Messiah. Those are very similar. The Messiah means he's the one God said he was going to come to save the world. So that's his messenger. That's the one that's going to bring salvation, etc. But then some said, well, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? So in other words, nah, can't be. He's from that hick town. AM. So you've got to figure out yourself. That's why... Who is Jesus is the most important question in the world. Don't debate everything else with people. Just focus on who is Jesus. Is he the Messiah or is he not? Is he God the Son or is he not? Once you make that decision, you make everything else. So what is this? Let's just wrap this up real quick. So what is God doing? (coughs) What was the point of this eighth day? This eighth day is all about new beginnings. The people had come in. They celebrate for a week long. They're getting ready to go back home for what? a new beginning, a new year. No, it wasn't necessarily the first day of the new year. It was a new year in this whole agricultural cycle. What are they doing? They're celebrating God and they're praying for rain for the next six months so that the next year they can come back again and celebrate what God has done again in a year. And so it's about new beginnings. New beginnings related to rain. New beginnings related to the reign of God and the raining down of his Holy Spirit which began to happen when Jesus came, died, buried, was resurrected, and the Holy Spirit came, fulfilling a different appointed time, Pentecost. And so we're still awaiting the future fulfillment of everything made completely new in Revelation, when Jesus comes back again, when the trumpet sounds, and then everything will be made completely new, and Habakkuk 2.14 will become a reality The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in Thanksgiving and praise, Lord, that you are in control. That though our lives may look like chaos, you tame the waters, you can tame our lives. Father, I pray this morning for anyone who may not have a new beginning. Another aspect, you offered Nicodemus a new birth, a new a new beginning, a restart. And you offer each one of us the same thing, Lord. When we come to faith, when we put our trust in you, trusting that you died on the cross to pay for our sins, so we don't offer animal sacrifices anymore because you took care of that on that day of Passover almost 2,000 years ago. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone who hasn't had their sins taken away today, (coughs) they would call out to you. The scripture says, whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. That just means that we would pray, that we would ask. You also told us That if we would ask, you would give us your spirit. So when we call in your name, we ask you to forgive us of our sins, believing that you died, Jesus, to pay for our sins. But then three days later, you rose again, conquering sin and death. And then, when we confess that, you bring us into your family, and you give us the seal, the sign of being a family member, having the Holy Spirit within us. Give us a new heart, to help us to obey and listen to you. And so that we can then be a shining light to the rest of the world. In the name of Jesus would we'll be lifted up. Father, I pray for us that are Christians, Lord, that we'd realize that there's a new day coming. You've already begun a new thing in us. And we should have the expectation and the hope you could become at any time. And we should be busy about what you've called us to do. We should be serious about making friends and loving people, loving our neighbor. We should be serious about living our lives in a distinct and a different way, not following the ways of the world. These appointed times were times that you had set up for your people to show the world that they were different by ordering their lives in a different way. Help us, God, to order our lives around you. For each one of us, that might look a little bit different. But God, help us that we would not just follow the patterns and the principles of of this world and and the, and the, the rat race. That goes on all the time. But instead, we would reorder our lives around you and your time frame and what's important to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. (coughs) All right.